for another couple weeks, so um, I hope you are enjoying it. Um, just to kind of remind you of the themes that we have come uh, through, just so we can read it in context and think about it in context. Uh, of course, you know, in the beginning, you know, Jesus talks about how blessed we are to have God's kingdom so close to us and his grace and his mercy. He has truly blessed us, um, no matter who we are and how we think about ourselves. It might feel like we're down and out, that we're at a total loss, but regardless, being even in that place of total loss is a place in which God can reach us and touch us. And he's not far from anyone. Uh, but we need to recognize that he's there, that his kingdom is close at hand. And he's preaching that, and he's teaching that, and he's also telling us this is the kingdom of God, and it's in us, it's with us. It's spiritual. It's God's spirit living and dwelling with us. And because of that, there's going to be changes in our lives. And so he talks about salt and light and the changes and the effect we make. And we're going to touch on the light aspect a little more today, actually, about how the light, it's, it's what it does. You know, and we already talked about that a bit, about salt and light, how you know, being people of God makes a difference in our own lives and those around us. Um, and then he, and he starts talking about, you know, um, you know, how to be righteous, the daikusune. How, do, how are we righteous? How do we do things right? And how do we, you know, know that, you know, we have this, this, this element of goodness about us? Uh, and so he doesn't, he doesn't tell us which of laws. He doesn't want to make us legalistic because that would do us no good because that's caused us already enough problems with the Pharisees that he's having to deal with here. But what he does instead is he just tells us the heart of God. You want to really be right, then you need to know the heart of God. And that's why he went through these basic, um, you know, things that at that time they would understand. And still in, in today's time we would understand, you know, don't hurt people, you know, uh, don't cheat on people, you know, um, don't mistreat people. You know, all the things that I think even humanists today would say, all right, that sounds like good stuff. I mean, so I think it's barely basic stuff he dealt with. But he also said, but in these things, there's the heart of God can be found. And so, again, we've already talked about that, the heart of God, and we're continuing to see that love prevails through all of the sermon, really. And then, of course, in chapter 6, we get to the point where, like, now we're wanting to, to you know, live out our, the religious aspect of our life, if you will. I mean, we, how, do, how do we, you know, live that out? How do we express ourselves, you know, as in our love to God, as we worship and pray and all this different stuff? Giving is one of the things he talked about. Again, prayer, devotion. He talked about that, and he also talked about fasting, and we spent uh, uh, the whole Sunday, last Sunday, talking about fasting, and I hope that was um, informative and helpful to us all. But the bottom line is, in all of this religious practice, he, again, love needs to be there, because again, we're learning this in context. Also, with love, it needs to be genuine, it needs to be right on, and with that, he said, he warns us, don't be like the, the fakers, the actors, the hypocrites, because they do it to be seen by others. They do it because, hey, you know, um, they're putting on a show and they want to be pat on the back. Or it could even go as far as saying this is what you think people would expect of you. This would be what our, my mom would expect from me or this is what my pastor expects of me. Don't do it because of those reasons. Do it because you know it's right. And, you're, and that's why I say do it as if you're playing to the audience of one 
and that one is God. So this is all fitting very well with, with Christ's sermon as he teaches here. So with that idea of, 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 of recognizing God's kingdom, his closeness, having a relationship with him, it's a very spiritual, but yet tangible, if you will, thing that God, Jesus is t- teaching us. You know, and the idea of being genuine, love and heart, not doing it for others, but doing it for your relationship, yourself with God. And so you're doing it for God. With that, he comes to now talking about treasures. So what's truly valuable and truly important? It's really good that he puts this here because now he's going to talk about what are you chasing about? And we've already said this several times in the sermon. You know, what's important to you? What are you chasing? What are you looking for? What are you after? If you're after a pat on the back, then like the hypocrites, you'll get that. When you get the pat on the back, that's your reward. That's what he says. They get the reward. They get their payoff when they get acknowledged by people. Wow, good job. Job well done. That's what they're looking for. That's what's valuable to them. And they get that when the pat on the back comes. But he's saying, but, but disciples of Christ, people who are, the, who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, aren't so interested in that. They're interested in, in having a relationship with God. And, and that is enough. That's the reward. So they'll see spiritual depth in life. And so that's what we're going to talk about now. What is treasure? Where is the treasure, if you will? Where is it? And if you can give us the next slide, we will talk more about that. So, but treasuring something is, is normal. It's a part of our human nature. It's normal to, have to treasure something, to value something. And Jesus acknowledges that. He just wants to kind of direct our attention to what really matters. And what really matters, and I put a lot of things there, and actually in the back, it's, it's a bit faded, but there is supposed to be a cross there on the left and on the right-hand side, a thing that says, me, 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 me. And so the reality is, what is the ultimate value? Is it there, Gary, or did it disappear altogether? I don't know if it's lost in the projector. It's just lost in the projector, isn't it? It's not there at all. Oh, wow. Okay. It's there. Oh, it's there, but not there. Okay. It's just the projector is not picking it up. I've had that problem before. But the reason why I put the cross behind those things, kind of faded behind, and the me, me, me behind, I guess these things in themselves aren't either bad or good. Things are just things. But the thing is, there's things that are temporal, which means they don't last forever. And there's things that are eternal. And that's why I put the cross here. Because there's, there's, God's kingdom is eternal. And that's what he's saying here. Relationship with God and God's kingdom is eternal. Now, these things don't matter. You got a bit of money? Who cares? Are you worshiping the money? We're going to talk about that today. That's a problem. Because money doesn't last. It's temporal. But you can worship God through how you spend your money. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's, and that's what I put down here. A couple of questions. We need to ask ourselves, what do we really invest in? What are we investing in? Our money, our time, our power, our influence, our Of course, we got a bunch of toys there, you know, and there's some things like toys and golf, sports, whatever. That's just fun. And and we call those the ends. They're just fun in themselves. So we do it. But some people may want to play toys or, you know, sports for another greater purpose or reason. Maybe they want to do it because they want to be successful. They want to be acknowledged for being a great sportsman or whatever. Um, And I put family there as well because some people value family and that's their treasure and that's good but the thing is what are you doing with your relationships what are you doing with your family is it to make yourself feel good is it temporal is it are you are you what are we teaching what are we investing in to our families it's spiritual things or worldly things so all these things are treasures but the question is how do we invest how do we invest what kind of things do we invest in when we're working when we're thriving, when we're doing, when we're producing, when we're playing, when we're with our family and our friends, what are we doing with the time? 
Are we investing in eternal things? Or are we investing in just simple experiential moments? Okay, that's the question. And so that's why, again, I put, you know, for what sake or for what ends? And, and so all these things I have here, and you could put a ton of other different things. These are just some things that came to my mind. Whatever it is that's in this world, they're just resources, you know, things, toys, people, relationships, you know, ideas. All these things in themselves are neither good or bad. But, but God says, what do you treasure? What's your eye on? What's important to you? Is it things that last or things that don't last? And, and in the way how our mind is, is constructed and how we answer this question determines what we do with these things. You know, if you're successful, great, I'm glad. If you're powerful, great, you're glad, join the club. But regardless, what are you going to do with that power? What are you going to do with that success? What are you going to do with that money? What are you going to do with your talents and your gifts? What are you going to do? Is it to live for yourself and for the experiment for the moment? Or is it for a greater purpose? And I think that's what Jesus is talking about here when he says, treasures. And so the scriptures say this. It's in the right here side. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Okay, store up treasures. The word for storing up treasures speaks of like a safe, which is a funny word, a safe. It's apparently a safe place to put it. But Jesus here says there is no safe place on earth, as we will see in a moment, because things on earth in a safe or not are still eaten by moths and rust and become destroyed. And thieves break in and steal. Okay? So temporal. Things don't last. I was thinking about temporal things earlier. When you buy a car, you're lucky to get eight years out of it. Okay? You buy an appliance for your house, like a fridge or a toaster or an oven or whatever, you're lucky to get, they say, five to ten years. Right? Temporal. You get, uh, we have a boiler, for instance, and I love a boiler, you know, but I'm thinking it's about 25 years old-ish. You know, at some point it's going to give out on us, and we need to get another one. Um, and then there's things that really frustrate us, and that's technology, like computers and phones. You're lucky if they last just six months to a year before they're outdated. And then you're like, oh, oh, it's a year, I've had this thing, it needs another one. Because look at, there's a better one out. So things don't last, and we know that. Temporal. So, okay, but again, but the beautiful thing about technology, for instance, like we have a table full of technology here, it can be used to glorify God. And that's a beautiful thing. So I don't live for technology. I don't, I don't worship the technology. I use it. Again, what's the ends? What's the purpose? It's to worship God. It's, we use it to glorify, to educate ourselves, to, to worship God. And that's wonderful. That's eternal. The computer may not last a couple of years, but the things we do with the computer while we have it can be quite wonderful. There you go, five years old. And we can make it last if we're really clever. So again, things on earth that are temporal, they don't last. But, he says, therefore, the logical thing to do is to store up your treasures, things that are valuable, things that you put value in, you know, and think value again, it doesn't necessarily mean things have to be, um, uh, our treasure have to be expensive. I mean, it could be a memory that's you treasure. It could be, you know, like a little token. I know I, I was reading somewhere how like sometimes people who are, are homeless, they'll, they'll have like a, a picture of a family or an ex memory and they'll store that and they'll guard that with their lives because that's, you know, something that's important to them. It's a treasure. It may be useless to other people. So what you treasure, it's, it's what your mind, what, what you really put your mind, like this is, this is it. 
what, what you put before your face, what you value. So your treasures, he says, he recommends that we store them in heaven, put them in the heaven safe box, if you will, where moss and vermin, I like that word vermin, do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And that's interesting. Treasure equals heart. Where your treasure is, is your heart. Your heart will chase after your treasures. That makes sense, doesn't it? Treasure equals heart. The heart, um, which here we have cardia. It speaks of the soul. He's not talking about the organ that pumps blood. We know that. We've talked about this before. He talks about your soul. You, you as a person, your passions. That's what it says here. It's the, it's, it's the soul as the seat of the sensibilities, the affections, the emotions, desires, appetites, and passions. I really like the last three specifically because I think it works well in this context. He's talking about what's your desires? What are you hungering after? What's your appetites? Again, what are you hungering after? What's your passions? What drives you? What gets you out of bed? What motivates you? That's what he's talking about at heart. What those things are will be made known. Your heart is where your treasure is. Your treasure is where your heart is. You'll be made known because of your, of course, your outwards behavior, what you chase, what you run after. And, and so if you want to know what you truly treasure, think about what you're spending most of your day doing, what, what you think about. There you go. Again, the heart, your soul, your mind, your thoughts, it all interlinks. Inter, um, what you think about. These things are what you treasure. Uh, and again, just... Just in case if you don't know it, I put some definitions here on the side about what's the difference between eternal and temporal. Eternal, which is what he's recommending that we invest in, is things that are without a beginning or an end. Existing outside of time, infinite, uh, continuing without interruption, perpetual, forever, true, and changeless. That sounds like something to invest in, doesn't it? Something that doesn't quit. We all want something that lasts, as opposed to temporal of relating to or limited by time, um, you know, relating to the material world, worldly, lasting only for a time, not eternal, but passing. Next slide, please. So that gives us an idea of what he's talking about here. There's eternal and there's temporal, and there's what you value, what you invest in. What has your attention? What captures your eye? What has your devotion? The eye, and this is in verse 22. So read with me verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Interesting, because here, first we talk about the eye, which is, again, he's similar to the heart. He's speaking of an organ, but more than just an organ. He's speaking of what you're consuming yourself with. Your eye, what you let in, what, 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 where do you point that eye as of yours? Where do you take that eye of yours? You know what I'm saying here? It's not just what the eye actually happens upon. It's like, what do you put your eye upon? You see? And what, you, what are you letting in? If it's only bad, it's, you're going to be full of bad. If it's, if it's full of good, then, well, then we can assume it's going to be fully good. And here the word light is interesting because the word light is actually speaks of reflection or reflective light, rather. It's kind of like the light we would get from the moon. It's interesting, you know, because the moon itself doesn't have a light, isn't a, it's of a light source. It's reflective of the sun. 
you know, in our solar system. Interesting, isn't it? And that's kind of like, what are you re reflecting? Now, this, when I saw this, I automatically thought about the salt, the light bit that we learned already. Because I always said, you know, when we, when we said it'd be the light of the world, it's not our own light that we're shining out. It's the light of Christ. So we're basically being mirrors, reflecting, like the moon reflects the sun. So it is with our, our lives as disciples with salt and light. Because we're changed by God so radically and we've surrendered our lives to him, that all we're doing is by having devotion and following and passion for Christ is we're allowing him to reflect off of us. And that's very similar here. So what is, what is being reflected? Here he says, beware not to fill yourself with darkness because then that is what's being reflected. And how great is that darkness? So the word darkness is mentioned three times here, I see. And so I want to know what this darkness word means. And the darkness speaks, when I looked into the lexicon here, of spiritual darkness, as opposed to, you know, turning the lights off. A spiritual darkness. Uh, Someone wants to check on that. Well, we got an escapee. So it speaks of spiritual darkness, implying ignorance, so not knowing God or his way, it speaks of error, you know, not knowing the truth. And also it speaks of sin and misery. So really not a nice thing to be filled with. So again, Jesus is trying to protect us. Uh, again, what you treasure, what you put your eye upon, what you're filling yourself with. Okay? And then with that, he goes on to this next section. No, 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 no it's just right down here. No one, in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or mammon. And so he talks about this danger. And in psychology, we actually know there's a danger of trying to have a dualistic idea or lifestyle to, to, to try to compartmentalize too much you know, to live a, a truly hypocritic life, basically. It's dangerous because the reality is you can't truly do it. Your devotions can't be split and halved. You know, we talk and we learn about the illustration of putting your foot on a boat and on a, on a dock. If you ever spent any time on a boat, you'd realize that when you go to cross into a boat or come off a boat, you need to commit, you need to jump on and jump off. Because if you don't, and you've probably seen videos on, you know, on TV, you know, you've been framed where, where people fall into the water. That's going to happen. Because what happens is you push the boat away from the dock and you're going to fall down. And that's the, 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 that's the illustration that points to the, the real devastation of trying to be devoted or passionate or give your heart to two different things. One is going to ultimately win out. One will ultimately live out. Again, devoted to, where he says here, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. I, I look at the word devoted to. Despise, we can think of that easily. It's, it's, you grow hatred, grow to despise, grow to grow away from. But devoted to is interesting when I looked up the definition for that in the lexicon. It speaks of the word portrays um, one holding an object directly in front of his or her face before their gaze. So it's like what, again, that's why I like the idea of the eye. And Jesus like the word of the eye, because that's what he's speaking of here. What is like holding an object before your face to just to set to gaze upon it, like wow, to study it intensely. That's what he's talking about to, when he talks about devotion. What do you put in front of your face? Again, so that's why the question, where's your eye going, is a very profound question in regards to the study. Where our heart is, is where our eyes go. Where our eyes go is what we're filled with. 
and our behavior is affected by it. Ultimately, what you're putting before you is what you're serving. What you put before you, what you study intensely is what you're devoted to. Any other God, contrary or not, will, will fall to the wayside. That's what Jesus is warning us, and that's a pretty serious warning. A couple other verses that I think work well with this sermon. Um, I put here, uh, if I had enough to write here, I would have put here's the verses. The verses, the, you know, the love of God versus the love of the world. And that's what we're talking about, the love of God and eternal value, eternal treasures versus temporal, worldly values and treasures. And here are two verses that illustrate the contrast. First, the love of God, spoken of by Jesus in Mark 12, 29, 31. The love of the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Here, again, he's speaking very strongly and passionately about devotion. Put your face, make God and his ways in your face. With all your heart, with all your strength, all your mind. I mean, he's painting a really strong picture here. He didn't just say with all your heart. He's saying with all your heart and with all your soul. But he isn't in there. Because he continues with all your mind. So your full human capacity directed towards the Lord, your God, your Savior. Because that's what's really valuable. You know, see what I'm saying? That's what's eternal. As opposed to what's temporal down here. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, of course, it's the kind of devotion we're speaking of here. He's not talking about not caring about the world. He's not saying that. He's not saying don't care about the world, don't care about the things of the world. What he's saying here is don't be devoted. Don't worship the world like you should be worshiping God. If anyone loves the world, love the Father is not in them. Again, you've got to choose who you're going to serve. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. You guys remember this. We've already dealt with this before. It's a very important scripture. Remember we talked about the I want and the I consume and acknowledge me that we learned about you know, earlier that distracts us from, you know, from what's really important and what's eternal and, and lasting. And here he ends. And I didn't say this before, but here I brought it in at this point because this is an important statement here in 1 John 2.17. The world... And its desires pass away. Again, we get the idea of the temporalness, the temporal, the not lastingness of the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. However, there's the eternal aspect. You see that, again, it's throughout the scriptures, the eternal aspect and the temporal aspect. And it's only logical. It only makes good sense to invest in things that last forever, as opposed to invest in things that are just simply temporal. Give your passions to what really matters. Next one. A couple more verses. Beware. In these end times, and I do believe we're living in the end times, distractions will intensify. We will be distracted. We've seen the world and the church in general as a whole become hit by the cares of the world that are just folly. It says, here Paul is speaking to young pastor Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 3-5. For the time will come when people will not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires. Again, earlier we're talk, he was talking about you know, running from the truth and you know, valuing and what you put was important. The sound doctrine. They won't deal with it no more. Instead, they want to chase their own desires, their own hungers, their own you know, whimsical needs. They will gather around them great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I don't like what he has to say. 
I don't like what the word of God has to say. I don't like the sound doctrine business. I want to go to a place where I am accepted for who I am. And, where, and if somebody offends me there, I'll go somewhere else. That is the end times. And that's the world we're living in today. They will turn their ears away from the truth. They will turn their ears from the truth. They'll want to hear it. And turn aside to myths. But you, but you, but me, but us. Keep your heads in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of the evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. So, in other words, keep busy. Stay faithful. Keep God in perspective. Another recommendation here by Jesus in another great sermon called the Olivet Discourse, which we'll deal with in in several weeks' times, Matthew 24, says this. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Again, speaking of the end times, I believe the days we're living in now. Many will turn from the faith. Here in the book four, we see many turning their ears from the truth, saying not to the truth, and then now they're saying not to the faith. And will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Some pretty serious warnings here. What do we treasure? What do we value? What's important? And we see that in here. But there's going to be a lot of distractions in life. A lot of distractions. And it's going to take a lot of people out. But I want to end here with this final encouragement. So again, what is really, truly valuable? What is really, truly valuable as far as our treasures are concerned? Well, I like what Paul says here. Because Paul had a lot to brag about in regards to success and power and influence. You know, as far as his knowledge and his wisdom is concerned, he had a lot to brag about. And that was very important as far as values are, values are concerned back in the Roman Gratia time. You know, to be knowledgeable, to be a philosopher. I mean, that was well-respected. That was powerful. You can do a lot of things and go a lot of places with, you know, with, with, with a good education and with a good mind upon you. And Paul was one of those guys. He's known still to the day as being one of the greatest intellectuals ever to live. So he had a lot to brag about as far as worldliness is concerned. Look at his attitude in relation to the temporal, to the eternal. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value. Again, it's logical. It makes sense. We're talking about temporal things versus eternal things. It makes sense. With the infinite, comparing it with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Again, he sets his face. Christ is in his face 24-7. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage or rubbish, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I mean, how simple but how profound is that? I just want to know Jesus. I just want to know Christ. And not just that, but I want to experience him. The mighty power, the Holy Spirit. That power that comes from God, raised him from the dead. I want to know that. That to me is valuable. That to me is important for me, my friends, my family, my, everybody, everything. I want all that I have to be invested into this knowledge and this experience. Because it's eternal. I want to suffer with him. It's okay to suffer with him. It takes some bravery. It takes some real faith. But Paul's willing to do it because he sees the value. He's okay with it. He's sharing in his death so that in one way or another, I will experience the resurrection. 
from the dead. Again, he knows, he understands as Christians, we should know and believe and understand because as Christians, the resurrection of the dead is a big part of what we believe in as our doctrine system, that we will not die to die, but we will die to live. And that's what the resurrection is all about, to be brought, to stand before the Lord on this, in this world or in the new world, whatever he decides to do <laughs> in the end times. But we will stand with him and we will rule and reign with him, meaning we will live. We'll occupy, we'll do things. And the things that we will do will no longer be distracting by the desires of the flesh and, and the things of the world that brings us down. But instead we'll be able to do it without that hindrance, without that weight to live for God. But to live our humanness the way it's meant to be fully. So the things that we do will be natural, but it'll be God-honoring. Does that make sense to you? Now the things that we do that are natural tend to be sinful because of the fallen nature of humankind. But in this resurrection time that Paul's looking forward to, that, that, that distraction, that dilemma won't exist. Now we can live as humans and our humanness will be pure and holy. So we will naturally want to do what is good and what is lovely and what is pure. And so that division, that distraction, that that the dilemma will no longer exist. And he goes, I want to live for that. I, want to, I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that because that right there sounds amazing. To naturally want to do what's sinful and wrong, that's a nightmare. To, to wake up and want to desire and passion things that are wonderful and only good and pure and holy and beneficial to me and to my neighborhood and my family, that sounds awesome. So I will put my face onto that and I don't want to miss that. That's what Paul recommends. And so what is he doing here? He's treasuring it. He's treasuring it. So where is our treasure? Jesus is asking us. Paul is agreeing with us. And we are learning that today. 